Welcome to the Pregnancy Loss Podcast, the place I created for moms like us. Pregnancy loss is all-encompassing and creates an overarching theme that runs through our lives forever. We have to learn to live with and beside the grief of losing our baby. We have to learn how to live again, how to parent again, how to engage and interact and be social again, how to communicate effectively to connect with our spouses and significant others. We have to find who we are now. I'm here to empower and inspire you to live a life even with our unique circumstances. We cannot change what happened, but we can grow and use that strength and resilience to create a life that we love. I'm here to share everything I know about grief, motherhood, loss, marriage, friendship, and parenting. I'm here to encourage you to find the beautiful side of grief, the side where we don't have to isolate ourselves or suppress the need to share stories, the side where you have moms just like you to support and encourage you. The side where we become the best versions of ourselves, not in spite of our loss, but thanks to it. Pregnancy loss is devastating, but it can also be an opportunity to reflect on who we were and who we want to become. So join me every Tuesday for a new episode on the Pregnancy Loss Podcast. Let's jump in. Today, we have a guest on the show. Let me introduce Angie. Angie is the adoption coach. She's an early intervention speech therapist and has worked in the autism field for over two decades. She's an adoptive and a biological mom and a former foster mom, and she has extensive training and experience in trauma and attachment, as well as early childhood development. Um, in this episode today, we talk, we cover so many things. Um, we talk about the power of unconditional love, uh, the emotion, emotional roller coaster of being a foster or adoptive parent. Um, we discuss her journey of becoming an adoptive parent. We talk about rebuilding trust in ourselves as parents, um, controlling our thoughts after loss, and just generally the challenges of navigating motherhood. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was such a wonderful experience getting to know and talk to Angie more. So let's jump in. Hi, Angie. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to hang out with you. I know. So I figure we can introduce you to the audience and then you can just kind of tell us about yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, So a little bit about me. Um, Professionally, I'm a speech therapist. Um, I currently work in early intervention. So in birth to three is what it's called where I work or where I live. So I work with babies up through their third birthday, providing speech therapy services and then also coaching parents. And then I'm also a parent coach, specifically an adoption coach. So I work with parents who are struggling. And I'll explain a little bit more about what led me to that. Um, And I've also worked in the special needs field uh, since I was in college. So really that has been what I've done my entire adult life is work with uh, most often kids with autism, but also some experiences through speech therapy and other ways. So that's me professionally. But then, uh, yeah, I'd love to tell you a little bit about uh, my personal life that led me kind of down this path. Um, so I, um, so I have a biological daughter. She's 21 expecting her second baby right now. And then I also have an adopted son. He is 17 starting his senior year. So when my daughter was about 10, um, I had decided that I wanted to foster. I I didn't have the strong desire to, um, birth more children, but I, I just, I don't know, I had the strong desire to help others and I had been exposed a little bit to the foster foster care world. 
So I thought, well, what a great way to help kids and not um, not necessarily add to my family, right? Like help them while their parents were working through whatever they were and then send them back home, right? So that was the plan. But through that process, we met our son. He wasn't in foster care, but it kind of a roundabout way we met him because of that. Somebody knew we were foster parents and his mom was seeking a home for him. So when my bio daughter was 10, my five-year-old son joined our family and it wasn't planned. It wasn't expected. It wasn't an accident either, right? Like to be a foster parent is so much work, (laughs) so much paperwork, so much mental, um, I don't know. It it was mentally exhausting. Just everything you go through. Emotionally exhausting from what I've seen. Yeah. 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 And you think about it, you know, I think I said this when you and I first met, but you can kind of accidentally become a biological parent, but to become an adopt adoptive parent, you, it's not an accident. <laughs> um, so, so we met our son at the age of five and we knew that he, I mean, it's, it's just expected, right? He's five. And at that point he had already experienced so much hardship for, for such a little guy. Um, a lot of um, just things happened in his biological home that no kid should ever, ever experience. And so we knew that kids aren't put up for adoption because everything is hunky-dory at home, right? <laughs> so we knew that. And um, I really jumped into all of the trainings that I could learn about and um, as many trauma trainings as, as I could attend. I read books. I listened to podcasts. And I was actively involved in every every aspect of my son's life, oftentimes to the um, detriment of my relationship with my daughter. So I, you know, I spent all of my energy, all of my time, every resource that I had, really trying to help get him on the right path. Because right away we saw pretty extreme behaviors. I mean, within a month, things that just aren't really experienced with biological kids typically. And so right away we got him into therapy and medication and all of the things that we were told to do. But our relationship just kept getting worse. Behaviors kept getting worse and my relationship with my son kept getting worse. And I, at the time I thought, well, he just needs more therapy. He needs more intense help. He needs um, a higher level of care. He needs you know, bigger programs and more, more, more. He needs more. And I realize now looking back that it's my, um, what I thought was like, I mean, I genuine, genuinely was trying so hard to, to help him work through his trauma. But as kind of a side effect of that, it was pushing him away. And I was um, probably making him feel like he was damaged. And, and It was creating so much tension in our relationship. I mean, he was so angry and and still is so angry at me. And I thought that I was doing everything that I knew how to do. You know, I was advocating and my gosh, I wrote a letter to the governor, (laughs) to the district attorney, to, oh man, like the the lengths that I went to, to really advocate for for help for him because I was afraid for my own safety and afraid for his too, and afraid for what his future would look like. So as I was going through all of this, 
and trying, I mean, this went on for years and, you know, really, I mean, when I look back, it was so desperate. I was desperately seeking what, what else can I do? And Jordan's therapist had recognized how stressed I was. And, um, and I think he knew that it was really hard to talk to like, you know, like to talk to your friends about the things you experience when you are raising a child who's experienced trauma and attachment difficulties, they just don't get it. My, my closest friends who care so much, my family, they just didn't get it. (laughs) So, um, so my son's therapist had suggested, well, maybe I should seek a therapist so that I, you know, could, um, kind of get in a better headspace. And I tried it. I gave it the old college try, but therapy was not what I needed. Not at all. But it really was the only solution that I knew about or that I was offered. So I tried therapy, but really, I mean, now, now I know that therapy is really designed to help you heal from your own, you know, past experiences. But really, I wanted to figure out how to create a future with my son and how to create a relationship with him. I had no idea. I thought, well, first, if I could fix the behaviors, then our relationship would be better. But that wasn't the case at all at all. <laughs> so I, um, so our relationship is in a much better place now than it was a couple of years ago. But what I've learned in the past couple of years is um, I ended up hiring a mindset coach for myself for reasons unrelated to my relationships, actually. So, um, so I hired a mindset coach for business. And within probably a month of working with her, my mind exploded like whoa this is what was missing when my son was younger this is what i needed to to keep my head in the game and stay focused on a goal with him when i look back my i didn't have a goal but really my drive was to extinguish the behaviors keep myself safe keep him safe try to avoid behaviors that was it it was just all about avoidance and extinguishing and um, safety, but I didn't have a goal about wanting to create a, a beautiful future with him, to create a relationship with him. I, I didn't because I couldn't see that I could because it was complete and utter chaos at home. So, so I hired a coach. I quickly realized that, oh my gosh, other adoptive moms need this way more than therapy. Probably (laughs) not that I'm saying they shouldn't seek therapy if they need that by no means am I saying that, but, um, But anyway, so yeah, so I got, I ended up going through uh, certification school and did all of the hard work to get certified myself. And so now I really specialize in helping moms who are right where I was, who are really at the end of their rope, ready to give up, honestly, ready to, I mean, like I, I very seriously was considering what am I going to do if my son can't stay home with us anymore, you know? And that's an awful thing to think as a parent. And I think like, I've never thought anything like that about my daughter, my biological daughter, but about my son, I did. Like, what if I have to terminate our adoption? So I want to help other moms not get to that awful, dark, gross place, because I now know that that does it's not the only choice. Oh my gosh, what a, what a process for you to go through especially alone in the beginning, did you end up finding any type of like support group for adoptive moms or did you have to just make a space for yourself? So I stumbled across a couple of groups, but 
if I'm being super honest, most of them are just complaining about behaviors. I'm still in a Facebook group that, I mean, has thousands and thousands of moms. It's driven by a very well-known organization, but the posts after post and then the comments are all about like, these awful behaviors are happening and it's just a lot of commiserating, which isn't productive at all, (laughs) right? Like, it's nice to know you're not alone, but then uh, let's do something about it. Let's change the trajectory in your relationship. Yeah, I think there's a lot of levels when it comes to, so even with like pregnancy loss, there is, you know, in the beginning when you just want to talk about it and you want to be heard and you want to know that you're not alone. So you go to these groups. I've noticed that too. And those groups are so great in the beginning when you just need to just tell somebody about it and you need somebody to validate you and you need to feel heard. Um, but they end up, once you're getting to a point in your healing and your growth, it's too low vibe. And if you stay there, you're not going to go anywhere. It's one of those things where you can only commiserate and complain for so long before it like, I don't know, it just disables you from taking any action. I feel like, yeah, yeah. You're just stuck spinning your wheels and feeling hopeless. Like this is just how it is. Everybody feels this way, right? Yep. I guess it's pointless. Not going to try anymore. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Um, what was I just thinking? Um, and two, so with your son and all that, but you were able to find, you were able to, um, get awareness about the situation finally though once you found your mindset coach right yeah yeah what did you think when you did you have an aha moment oh my gosh yes (laughs) it's interesting um she my coach talks about she had a hard relationship with her son um uh not not an adopted son not the attachment stuff that we were dealing with in our house but nonetheless a challenging relationship and she would describe how how she too had hired a coach for business related reasons. And she, she ended up saying like the first goal that she really tackled was her relationship with her son, which wasn't the plan. You know, she went there to figure out how to make more money. Um, But she was describing how, um, you know, and she teaches us and now I teach moms about unconditional love and how, when um, we, we as moms, if you ask us, we, we unconditionally love our kids, right? In, in our heart, we do. It is part of being a mom. At least I'm assuming most of your listeners feel that way. But, but, but if I'm being super honest, we all have these conditions about how we expect our kids to behave. And when our kids don't match those conditions, we respond accordingly. And we do things like withholding our love or changing the way that we respond to them. And so, um, you know, like she would describe that her son would act out and then she would become more cold with him or more removed. And it's just, it's natural uh, human response, right? Protect your heart. (laughs) And, and so she said she flipped and started just saying this mantra over and over again. He just wants my love. He just wants my love. He just wants my love. So as he's, you know, 
I don't yelling or whatever he was doing and not matching her expectations. She just kept repeating that mantra. And I, my mind was just like, whoa, if I had done that, how different our relationship had been because you can't, I mean, as you're listening to this, just repeat it back to yourself to say, he wants my love. He just wants my love. Cause you can't say that and feel that low frustrated energy. It just doesn't match. And so it's just, just little pieces of information like that about how to show up with unconditional love. I, I mean, if anybody had asked me, like, I love my son to death, I would do anything for him. And I, I, like I said, like I expended all of my energy and took myself away from other really important relationships for my son. I love him so much, but I was not showing up for him and his behaviors in a way that showed him that. And he's the only one that needed to know, not everybody else. <laughs> so, so yeah, it just, it's just been so life changing. And so, um, so I now, when I work with parents, I have a very, um, specific series of trainings that I go through with parents to help help them create a mindset that becomes a permanent way of them thinking and responding to people. And it's so powerful how how it really is changing their relationships and the way that they show up. Yeah, I just I've learned so many little nuggets about how how I could have done things differently. And I didn't know then so I don't beat myself up about it. But you know, I can help others. <laughs> Imagine it's hard being aware of your own shortcomings and the things that you're doing that you think are helping and they're not, and you find out that they're not, and then you feel mad and angry that you're just not adequate. You're not, you you go into, you know, I'm not worthy of being their mom. I'm not, I shouldn't be a mom, all this stuff. I know with um, my youngest daughter, Violet, um, I know he had talked about you doing the early intervention stuff, and she was in that program um, for speech delays and occupational therapy. Um, and she had sensory processing disorder, which, of course, you don't know that at one years old. Like, you can't know anything. But once she started getting into uh, the interventions, when we had them come to our house and work with her every week, all of my energy, all of my attention went to her. Yeah. Everything that I had went to her trying to fix what was wrong. Mm-hmm. And looking at it now, you know, I feel like I kind of gave a disservice to her and her sister because there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Yeah. She just needed some extra help. Like there's no baseline perfection of our human humanness. Like yeah. everybody's we're all over. Like, yeah. you know, so needing help with sensory processing and speech. Like I thought her not being able to speak at the age of my parents made me feel like the most biggest piece of shit mom in the entire world because she couldn't speak. You know, and they would say things like, You could speak when you were one in full sentences. And I'm like, okay, like, I'm not my daughter. I'm not like, you cannot, there's absolutely no comparing one person to another ever. Because there's, there's no duplicating that person. Like, if that makes sense. I mean, I just, and then as my kids got older, um, my oldest now, Callie, she was having a lot of issues, especially after her sister died. 
Um, she was five, and I mean, she never got to meet Evelyn. She never got to go to the hospital, you know, to see her body or anything. Like, so it was just like something that really it took a toll on her. Like yeah. knowing that I was pregnant, being with me through the entire pregnancy, the expectation of having a baby and like all that stuff. And it, I think in the last year or so, it really, really has taken a toll on her. Um, and along with like growing up and all those other things and, but she, you know, she's in therapy and, um, her emotional regulation and all this stuff that I'm trying to fix because I want her to be, you know, a, a functioning human being who can handle these things because I was never taught how to handle my emotions or how to process them or, you know, how to have relationships or how to communicate effectively. And I just want these things for her. So I'm like, you know, fixated on her. And yeah. not worried about my other ones. Like, it's so hard navigating being a mom. Yeah, 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 it sure is. <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. I can't even imagine being an adoptive mom. Like, I have a friend who was fostering for a while. Um, actually, I had two friends that did it. And, well, one was more of an acquaintance. But the toll that it took on them, because a lot of the times they want to be able to adopt those babies. Mm -hmm. after they're with them for such a while like you grow attached they're your you know you're yeah. the one caring for them and giving them love and teaching them and you know helping them heal from whatever it is that they had gone through and they you know and they of course as foster parent you lose them most of the time you you know because adoption is such a hard process and you know, the main goal with fostering is reuniting the parents and the kids. So it's yeah. so, it's like a, you just never know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's, it's interesting too. I mean, it's, it's such an emotional roller coaster being a foster parent or an adoptive parent, because, you know, as a foster parent, you're right. The goal is reunification. Um, However, as a foster parent, you know the environment that they came from and it wasn't fit for them. And so you, you like as a human, you want it to go really well and you want the bio parents to, you know, learn the skills that they need to. But you also like, at least myself, I couldn't not worry about sending kids back to their own home, which is such a weird feeling, right? And the other thing that, I experienced and I've heard other moms experience, whether you think about foster, you know, kids in the foster care system or kids who've been adopted is as humans, we tend to put a little bit of a wall up around our heart because you, you know, in, in the foster care situation that the plan is to send them back home. And so to fully love them, and give them all your heart, you're setting yourself up for heartbreak, right? <laughs> but even in adoption, even in like, you know, there there's so many different scenarios of adoption from kids who have been in foster care to, you know, um, uh, doing a, like uh, picking a birth family when the mom is pregnant to, 
you know, like my son was five at the time and so many different factors that play into that. But even in the, whatever the best scenario is, um, I experienced, and I've heard other moms experience that there's still a little bit of fear that something legally might happen that might terminate your parental rights, even after your adoption is finalized, which isn't a fear that happens with bio kids. There are lots of other things that might create lots of mom fear, <laughs> but losing your legal rights to your your um, your biological children isn't there unless you're doing things that might and you know invite the authorities to your home. That's a whole different thing, but. It, it's an interesting fear. You know, I think like um, with my son, mom voluntarily um, terminated her rights and dad, bio dad wasn't in the picture ever, um, had never met him, was not in his life at all. So the courts did their thing to reach out to dad to let him know the date of the court appearance where his rights would be terminated and he didn't show up. And so, you know, the plan was to carry on and the next day, uh, he contacted the courts and said he didn't want to terminate his rights. And so we went through this whole process of like, you know, we're like, okay, rights are terminated. We can move on to the next phase, which is such a scary thing anyways. And then all of a sudden to have like, oh my gosh, like he might have to go live with this guy who's never met him. <laughs> what in the world? So um, it all turned out the way that it was supposed to, but that drug out for, I don't know, nine months. I think of nine months in the courts, it ended up being like a federal court case because of, you know, because a parent was not wanting to terminate their rights. And so, but that fear still, even after adoption was finalized, still lingered in me a little bit like, oh, but what if there's some legal That's snag that somebody missed? You just never know. It's scary. Um yeah. What was, can you, do you want to talk about, like, what was his reason for not wanting to terminate his rights? Like, if he had I'd, been gone so long, was there really not one? I can't possibly know. <laughs> it was okay. very unexpected. And, um, yeah, he, I mean, as, Interesting. as we had been told, he had never had any contact ever with him. So who knows? Yeah. Who knows? But yeah, such an interesting thing. I'm but glad everything know, turned out though. Yeah, yeah. But you know, as as um, you know, as I met you and I was thinking about, you know, you and I were kind of chatting earlier about how, you know, the moms that are listening, your audience, who've maybe experienced a loss, adoption is a real possibility. And I just um I am just on a mission to help educate parents out there that adoption is so beautiful, but it's not for the um, light of heart <laughs> because even in situations where maybe a baby was adopted right at birth or, um, you know, uh, the, it was a good, um, like a good relationship between adoptive parents and biological parents or whatever the situation was, that child has experienced a disrupted attachment no matter what. The womb that they they grew up in, that they were raised in, that they know, they sense it, isn't part of their life anymore. And so if that were the only thing that still can create attachment difficulties, there are so many anecdotally, not um, research-based, but so many 
people will share stories about how they didn't know that they were adopted, but they always felt this disconnection with their parents and they never understood why. And then they find out 30 years later that, oh my gosh, I was adopted. Who knew? Or my bio dad is, isn't actually my bio dad or whatever. You know, I have a, a, a friend who was, uh, her brother recently found out doing a, like a ancestry type test that oh, yeah. he, he's only a half sibling and everybody in the family, mom and dad included, thought that he was a sibling. And so um, his, his response to that was, I always felt like I didn't belong. Right. Which is just, it's fascinating. I don't know how they could research that <laughs> because it's a feeling, but, but what it tells me is that um, when, when that attachment is disrupted, it, it impacts who, who we are and how we connect with others. But also then, you know, babies who are adopted right at birth oftentimes have experienced quite a bit of trauma in the womb and, you know, so being educated as a parent is so, so important. But then also, I mean, I just feel so strongly about this now, but find a mindset coach who understands adoption. I mean, I'm happy to help, but I'm not saying it has to be me, but find a mindset coach because when your child needs you to keep your head in the game, you want to have the right tools. You want to know how to show up with unconditional love in, in all of your actions because they need you. Ah, man, like kids who've experienced disrupted attachments need you so much more than kids who, you know, are your biological kiddos. I mean, that's my story. Like I found out I was adopted, like not my mom, but my dad um, when I was 16, like after they had gotten divorced and all these things came out because my mom's just trying to hurt my dad and <laughs> inadvertently hurting me. Like, um, but I didn't know. I really believed like they, they spent the, my, like my whole life, you know, like me and my dad have the same eyes and like, we have some similar features and like, I didn't have a knowing. So I always wondered what happened to my biological dad in the relationship with my parents. Cause they were married yeah. when I was, when she was sitting with me. And so, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just the being separated from the mom because obviously yeah. I was in her womb and cause I wasn't separated from her. I didn't know yeah. any better. Like yeah. I didn't yeah. know my dad, but um, yeah, that's interesting. I feel like, Every single mom should have a mindset coach. She's like yes. every single mom should have the option to like get real, like have somebody real in their life that is really going to talk about how motherhood really is. Because mm -hmm. um, no matter what perspective you're in it, it's just not what you thought. Like yes. never. This <laughs> is it, you can never explain it. I don't think there's truly a way to encompass everything in a way that really like helps somebody understand what it's going to be like. Yeah. I don't know. There's so many ideas. <laughs> oh my God. It's but so yeah. cool though. I mean, I, uh, my daughter, like I said, my daughter has a daughter. She's 16 ish months now. And she's expecting her second daughter, which is so exciting. But I'll never forget when, I don't know, she she had, she had was still at the hospital. So I went to see her at the hospital, you know, and I'm like, how are you doing, honey? And, you know, she's so perfect and all of that. And she's like, mom, what, 
why do they just let people just take home these like the most complicated thing in the world and they like don't even tell you what you're supposed to do with it i don't understand <laughs> and i'm like you'll be fine you know you have a lot of family to support and love you but it is crazy you're, you're totally right Valen, that you uh it is the most complicated job in the world with no instructions nobody tells you what it's really going to be like and you know your heart is so involved you can't just like read a book to figure out how to mom it, it your heart is so involved your intuition you know it's just yeah hard to explain i always think um, yeah there's just too much you know there's the feelings where am i going with this there's just too much i just too much <laughs> in my brain um what's on your instagram though and i was I saw your one pager that you had posted on there for some ignite her or something. Oh, um, yeah. and at the bottom it was like, uh, you were talking about controlling your thoughts. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you process with your mindset coach? Oh yeah. Or learned how to do. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it, they're so interwoven. I, you know, I kind of shared a little bit of an example before, like if you're saying, he just wants my love. He just wants my love. That's a thought. Yeah, it is just a thought, but it really does create a feeling in you. Um, for, I mean, for most of us, it creates a feeling and then can um, perpetuate that feeling. And when we think and feel a certain way, we act a certain way. Um, and when there's a mismatch between how we're thinking and feeling, it feels like our body feels it. So if you're like, I think about the majority of my relationship with my son, I had all of these thoughts about my fears for his behaviors. You know, what, you know, what's he going to do to his sister? What's he going to do to his classmates? When am I going to get a call from school again? How am I going to keep him from running out of the house? How am I going to keep him from jumping out his window again? You know, like constant thoughts, fear-driven thoughts. And those thoughts, although originally when he first joined the family, I had all of these feelings of like excitement and, you know, you know, loving him and wanting to give him this beautiful home. Those were the feelings that I had this like loving, unconditional love, Not compassion, feeling. right? Those feelings were totally overdriven by my, my fear thoughts, honestly. Fear thoughts. And I, yeah. I didn't know that then I just, that was just my reality, right? Like I was like, of course I feel frustrated. Of course I feel annoyed and angry and scared. Of course I feel that way because of the behavior, but really I was feeling that way because of my thoughts. <laughs> so, yeah. How do you think, wrote this down. How do you think lost moms, do you, is there like a tool they could use to control their thoughts after their loss? Like after you lose a baby, you have all this guilt and shame, mostly in the beginning because there's really no one else to blame but yourself. Like, that's how you feel. Yeah. So, you know, you think that you caused it. You did something wrong. You ate lunch meat one day and, you know, you, like, you weren't supposed to do that or, and you ruminate. I mean, these, and you, and they're the negative fear-based thoughts, the, the, just the really bad thoughts. How do you think, how can they control that? What's like one thing that you learned that they could use to really stop that? 
Yeah. Um, well, so I'll get to that. Um, what I was thinking as you were talking is, you know, um, like I said, my entire career for the most part has been working in the autism field and autism. Uh, I realize very different than, than laws, but also not very different, right? Parents blame themselves for their child's autism, which is fueled by still, um, not a definitive cause, but um, also fueled by like old history of, I mean, back when I first learned about autism, there was talk about that it was caused by moms, right? That that has that is no longer the case, but but that fear still lives in moms. And so so um one thing that I would suggest is to really um to really kind what good can you find in this situation? Is it that um, it led you to other moms that maybe you can help? Or did it bring your family closer together? Or is there something that you learned about yourself and your own limits or compassion? Or, you know, is there something good that you can find in it, which I know can be so incredibly hard when you're in the thick of the worst of the worst, but to, to really, um, when I, when I first started working with my coach, she said, she said, um, if there's something that you're struggling with and you feel like you don't know the answer to actually get up early in the morning, a little bit earlier than you do and ask yourself a powerful question, um, not in a forceful way, but ask yourself a question, just keep asking it. And you might have to do this for, you know, 10 minutes a day for many days, but just keep asking yourself a question. And so, you know, that question of like, what, you know, what, what can I gain from this really hard experience or what, um, you know, what, what good could come from this, whatever that question is that, you know, seems to mesh with you, but to just keep asking it over and over again, you know, what, what good can come from this? What good can come from this? And to just keep asking yourself, the answer will come to you because your gut knows as moms, um, I know everybody has intuition, but as moms, it's, it's really strong in us. And so to just keep asking yourself what, you know, what good can come from this when you figure it out to then plaster that answer somewhere where you see it all the time. And so, you know, if, if it will just one day, you'll just get this hit of like, oh my gosh, maybe this is what good can come from this, right? Write it down and sticky notes. I don't know why sticky notes are my favorite thing. It's a tool that I use with parents actually, as they're trying to change how they respond in the thick of behaviors. I tell them to write down, sometimes it depends on the parent, but sometimes a question or sometimes just a mantra that they need to just keep saying like, uh, he just wants my love. <laughs> Cause sometimes that's where they're at and that's fine. But to, to find that answer about what good can come from this and put it on a sticky note in every room of the house or wherever you'll see it often, because then when you're feeling, um, like you're beating yourself up or you're feeling down on yourself to, to see it and say like, oh, I, yes, yes, that, that is, maybe that's why this happened, you know? And, and I'm not saying it in the, like, everything happens for a reason, but, but 
we can't move forward if we're so stuck in in the bad parts of it, right? And so to be able to shift the way that we think will shift the way that we feel about things. It's just the way that we're wired. When I think of what it is, it's like thought, like you have a thought and then you attach a feeling to that. And then you like an emotion is created from that, you know, our belief, how Mm -hmm. our beliefs get cemented in us. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think, I guess that could be hard because even I know I, after I lost Evelyn, I didn't trust myself anymore because I should have known. And then after I had her, I realized that I did know. I know the minute that she died, like, and I remember what I was doing and I remember, cause it was the moment that I started labor. Like I just, something felt different and like she wasn't moving anymore, but her body was moving. So it still felt like she was moving, but something was wrong. It's just crazy. But yeah, I like learning how to control our thoughts without having the trust in ourselves and believing our intuition again. I think that's the hard part. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> Cause I think, yeah, we just don't trust each other or trust each other. We don't trust ourselves anymore. Yeah. There's just something that, yeah. When I, I mean, honestly, I think we're trained to look outside of ourselves for all the answers. I think that that's what our society at least does. I don't think that it's that way in all societies, but I think that in particular, our society is like Western society. Oh yeah. It's like, oh, you, you want to know how to prove your kids. You better Google it. You better go on to TikTok. You better get, you know, all these things, which, okay, there are useful tips in there, but but my kids need something different than your kids need. No, that's why I just, most of the time, I will never ask a question in a mom group. Mm-hmm. I tell you what, it's like piranhas. And if you say the wrong thing, they will gut you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're being so bad. Like, unless it's something generic. Like, I asked for, like, um, what did I have to ask? Oh, I couldn't find the school supply list for my kids' classroom. So I posted about that. But yeah, it's really, I'm really jealous of Eastern societies. And like, um, well, I should say sometimes because I love the fact that we live far away from our families because John's family's great, my husband's family, but my parent, like, I should say my mom. I'm as far away from her as I can be, and that makes life better. Um, long story. But um, a lot of those societies, they have ex- they live with each other. They're extended family. They, they have a community that is filled with wisdom and knowing, and, like, these women teaching the younger generation, like, you know, because baby loss, stillbirth, and miscarriage are not, not, um, this is what bugs me. So they're called rare occurrences. Stillbirth is more rare than miscarriage. But 25% of women lose babies. That That's one-fourth of every single woman in this world has lost at least one baby. Wow. So you know these generations of women, you know, know how to get through that 
-hmm. know what you need to be doing, know how to support you. And they teach them that like, we are so separated over here. Like, and COVID did so much damage and separating Mm -hmm. us even more, you know, and people are still afraid to like get together and be around people and, I know I've gotten particularly awkward after Evelyn died. I just became very, I don't want to say antisocial, but I was, I became very selective about who I wanted in my space anymore. I could not do small talk anymore. I cannot, I cannot talk about the weather. I can't talk about this you know this other woman who we don't like you know all the gossipy Mm -hmm. stuff that happens I couldn't be a part of that anymore because I had just lost a baby like I lost a part of my life and nothing else matters yeah literally nothing that those things don't matter like I need to be talking like I I'm a postpartum doula and I have been for five years and last year two of the clients that I had are like my best friends and one of them she is like all into the woo-woo stuff with me. Like we're all about uh, self-development and Tony Robbins and like just bettering ourselves in any way we can, human design, just whatever. Like that's what I need in my life now. Like after you experience something that no, you know, you don't know many people who have like you, like being an adoptive mom, they're not everywhere. Yeah. And the ones who are like, probably, probably aren't very, I don't know, open about it. Like lost moms, like we just kind of, if somebody asks, maybe we'll talk about it, but it's still like, do you find that with your, with being an adoptive coach and working with those families? Oh yeah. And you know, I think, um, as adoptive parents, we put so much pressure on ourselves to like, I made this huge promise to my son to give him a loving, happy family. And I did not do that, (laughs) you know, and it's embarrassing. It like, I, um, yeah, it's embarrassing between me and him. I think that, and not that he looks at it that way, but I do, or it did, in that, like, I made this huge promise to, like, come join our family, and it will be beautiful, and we'll love on you, and then in all reality, it was like, oh, there's another behavior, here's another consequence, oh, there's another behavior, here's another consequence, it was not a happy, hunky-dory family, like, I feel like we promised to him, and it made, that made it really hard to connect with other parents, too, because, you know, I'd get so many comments about, like, well, maybe you need to be more lax with him. Maybe you need to be stricter with him. Maybe he needs this. Maybe he needs that. And it just, yeah. So then I just stopped talking about the struggles in our home or the struggles that I was dealing with because they didn't understand and I didn't want their advice. And it sounds like you had the same experience that, yeah, getting involved in that small talk is just not where your head was anymore. And, you know, the other thing I was thinking about too as you were talking was, that um, once you know that you aren't a victim to what's happening in your life, once you know that you have some, you know, control over what you're thinking and what you're feeling, it just puts you on this whole other level where then you start to see the people around you are blaming circumstances and blaming things that happened. So to be able to, you know, take that loss, like you 
we were talking about to take that loss and say like, this is so awful that, that, that this happened, but I, I can't be a victim to this for the rest of my life. I need to find something good that happened, you know, that came from this. I need to find something good so that I can move forward and help others or, you know, be fully present for my family or whatever it is. And that takes you from being that like, um, like very on the physical plane, being such a victim to everything and saying like, yeah, that it was awful. It was so awful, but let's move forward. And it's hard to find people that are on that same, you know, thought process. Like I feel so alone. I have two friends, you know, um, and they are definitely more um, into this type of stuff, like really, really life altering you know conversations and how things work and like how we get through it and but it it is because I still I I don't have a village like I have a really tiny one but I feel like we need more and that's what I'm trying to create for lost moms is like the groups that we kind of talk about like the lost groups that I see and that I'm a part of are a lot of people who haven't made the like the decision because it is a decision choosing not to be the victim yes of what happened and and of course I'm like I am always commenting on their stuff and like sending my love and you know sharing my story and trying to give them things that they can do to feel better like in the moment and stuff like that but they're the people that I, so I should say what they call an avatar in business, like, you know, your ideal person who I'm speaking to. So like the women that I want to work with are the ones who have made choice and that decision to do something besides yeah. be stuck in the grief, because there are people who cannot get out of it and it's not their fault. It they weren't taught the skills like it is a skill mm -hmm. resilience is a skill you know you yeah. know self strength is a skill um and if I hadn't gone through all the shitty things I did when I was a kid and being a military spouse and moving and losing everything and um something I never talked about my husband having an affair after Evelyn died like all of these things built that yeah like the skill and yeah I just I gotta create my own community yeah because I, I need I want the women who are there who want more who want to grow who want to just you know even business friends I want I want people who want to make like millions of dollars because they can because it's an option like, yeah. I want people who want to, you know, I want friends who, like, want to write books and tell their story and, like, you know, all this. I feel like making the decision not to be a victim after Evelyn died was so much easier for me than deciding not to be a victim of my mother, like, for my whole life, um, which is crazy, like. I really, honestly, after 34 years, have finally, like, realized that I had to make the decision. 
I'm like, wait, and that older and that couples counseling after my husband's affair, like I didn't realize forgiveness was a choice. Yeah. I thought you just kind of like, yeah, okay. I forgive you. But no, like you have to make the choice every day. Cause there are days where I'm like, this isn't fucking fair. Why did like my kid have to die? Why did I have to lose an entire life with her? And you know, why does this person have 10 kids? I, I'm not one to talk. I have four living children and I'm very blessed. I'm lucky. Um, but there are days where I feel that victim mentality come back. And I guess that's something that I would love our moms to take away from this is that just because you make the decision once doesn't mean it's over. Like yeah. You have oh, to yeah. continually make the decision and choice every single day to not be the victim anymore in in that story in that grief like yeah oh yeah yeah oh i could too but i'm mindful of time um well um on that yes, note, no um, go through let us know where we can find you yes yes um but i want to share a quick resource about what you were talking about so um oh, yeah. I was directed to Bob Proctor. I don't know if you know anything about him, but he is, uh, he, he passed oh. in a past year, but he uh, was, you know, spreading his knowledge about mindset awareness for many, many, many decades and um, just has changed so many lives. But he has, it's called the responsibility article, but I'm pretty sure you can find it on YouTube. It's not very long. It's just a couple of pages. But I, I have my clients, when they start with me, read the article. Um, I, I ask them to read it every day for at least one week, but I would love it if they do it every day for a month. But it is, and, and to take notes as each time they read it, like, oh, wow, I never looked at how I'm responsible for that part of my life, for that part of my life. So it's really powerful. So I'd recommend finding it. And, and so, um, to find me, um, I do have a Facebook group called Connected Parents with Angie, where every week I do trainings about really specific topics to help you show up as a connected parent. So sometimes we talk about behavior, sometimes we talk about mindset, sometimes we talk about I don't know, all kinds of things. It's I love doing it. They're great trainings. But if you scroll way down in the page through the trainings, I recorded the responsibility article if you can't find it on YouTube. So check that out. But then um, I, I am offering a free session. So if you go to my website, which is also connectedparentswithangie.com, um, you know, check out there. There's a little bit more about my story on there, about who I help. And then if you go onto my resources page, I have a couple of things on there. I have a freebie that um, parents just love. It's kind of a real practical tool to use. And then you can book that free session on there. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'll make sure too to put everything in the show notes so they can find it easier or uh, have another way of finding you if they like forget something. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. I'm so glad you came today. Thank you so much. This has been such a good conversation. Yeah, yeah. Same here. I'd come back anytime. So <laughs> we'll do a part two, definitely. All right, we'll talk later. Thank right. you. Yep. Thank you so much for listening to the Pregnancy Loss Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I created a guide on 20 ways to celebrate your angel baby. 
It gives you 20 amazing ways to celebrate their birthdays or ways to just remember them on any given day. If you want to download it, head over to valenweb.com resources and click the link. I hope you guys have a great week. See you next time. Thank you.